AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. Uh, We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Maddox. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. You have a problem with it? Build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Maddox. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Crossover Podcast. Glad you could join me this week because it's one of those weeks where there is actual basketball news. You've got talk about the NBA reopening training facilities, some changes in Chicago. Uh, Nobody seems to care about Vince Carter, which I want to get into a little bit on this podcast. Uh, Joining me to talk about that, taking a break from his time as one of the beach bros down Huntington Beach, uh, (laughs) Rohan Carney. Uh, SI staff writer. What's up, Rohan? Welcome back. Uh, thank you so much, Chris. You know, I, I think I earned it, frankly. I, I've been working on my beach body for a couple years now. Um, this was a good chance to dry, you know, dry run, test it out. No, obviously I haven't been going to the beach, but, uh, you know, I'm glad you're staying up on current events. If you're in California and you're listening to this, don't go to the beach. Let's start there. Would you tell your friends out there to stop you know, I mean, we're, we're trying to get through this here. None of us like staying at home 
None of us like the current circumstances. It doesn't help when in one of the worst states with the coronavirus in the country, you've got these goobers going to the beach on a regular basis. It terrifies me. Listen, you're, you're, you're speaking to the choir here, preaching to the choir, I should say. You know, my parents live in Florida. There's people going to the beach there, too. I'm terrified of this. I, I'm with you. Everyone stay home. I don't think I have any friends going to the beach, uh, thankfully enough, even though I know you're, you're, you'd love to call me out on that. But, yes, I agree. Please do not go to the beach. All you have to do is stay inside. I, I understand it's a lot harder for some people uh, than it might be for people like me and you. But just just stay inside, please. Yeah, I feel like we've done a we've gone completely full circle here where we started this whole pandemic out mocking the Corona bro down in Florida who said, if I get Rona, I get Rona. Uh, and now here we are months later after we got through the lion's share of it, still doing dumb shit. But that's a conversation for another day. Uh, as always, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, anywhere you can download podcasts. Uh, it's much appreciated. Post a comment, leave a rating, simple, easy, free. Best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. All right, Rohan, let's talk a little bit about some of the news that we've uh, had come across our way this week. And that's the idea of the NBA reopening their training facilities to players in some of the states that have relaxed their stay-at-home stay-at-home rules. Uh, That being places like Georgia and Oklahoma and soon-to-be several others. Uh, there's cases to be made on both sides about the good and bad about NBA opening its facilities. Let me get yours first. What will you make of this news that the NBA in the next week or so is going to open up its practice facilities to certain players? It's pretty weird. Uh, I've got to be honest. I, I didn't fully understand uh, the reasoning behind it. Uh, why do this now if you're still not sure when the season is going to start? And I hate to be that guy, but there's like there's a common thread between the states that are opening. Uh, if you're paying attention to the news at all, you can kind of figure out uh, why the states that are opening up are opening up. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with, you know, their numbers with the virus or, or the virus uh, not being as present in those states. Uh, and, and to me, uh, the NBA, which has kind of fashioned itself as a sports league that's, you know, we're on the forefront of everything that's going on with the coronavirus and Adam Silver saying, hey, we're going to listen to the scientists on this. Uh, Do you really think they're listening to the science and the doctors uh, by letting players work out uh, in these states that are open up? I I don't think it really, you know, vibes with what the NBA has has done so far regarding the coronavirus. So that was kind of my initial thought, which is, is it worth uh, putting anyone at at extra risk uh, for a season that we're not even sure is going to take place? I, I think that was my first reaction. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of my my first reaction. But the more people I talked to, the more uh, – it definitely changed my opinion on all this. I mean, look, it would be nice if the NBA could control the country and how it operated would be how the country operates. But uh, states are independent. They're going to do what they're going to do. And the argument that was made to me by people at the highest level in the NBA offices was, look, if if you're in Georgia or Oklahoma and your states are open and gyms are open – players are going to find their way there. Like, these guys have been cooped up like the rest of us for the better part of the last two months. Uh, You know, they're anxious to get out and start working out some way, somehow. And, you know, even when they go down to to outdoor courts, they're seeing rims being taken down so people don't work out. If there are gyms like an Equinox or a 24-Hour Fitness that are open, you're going to see players, you know, trend towards there and go there. So the argument for opening up these facilities is a player safety argument to a degree. It's you you open these facilities up and you have guys working out in a sanitized, controlled environment 
and not in some kind of free-for-all in, in some sort of public gym. So I understand that. My issue with all this is how does it affect the postseason? And I continue to harp on this. The, the idea that, you know, if you open a gym in Oklahoma and you've got members of the Oklahoma City Thunder at their training facility working out, even if it's just individually, for three weeks, four weeks, before, say, the Clippers or the Lakers are able to work out. That's an unfair competitive advantage. And that's not something the NBA has ever really had. Even in off-seasons, look, off-seasons, guys weren't required to go to a facility, but they did go there when they wanted to. So you had the option always of doing whatever you want to work out. This doesn't give these players that option. There are players in LA and in other states that simply can't work out because they're not allowed to by their state government. So if you've got one subset of players that are working out and training at a facility and another that isn't, doesn't that just create this environment that 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 is just a, an unfair competitive advantage? And doesn't that by extension uh, make the championship not credible? I mean, that that's my biggest issue. Like, if you do this... I think it ruins the credibility and the legitimacy of a championship, which was already going to be viewed with something of an asterisk anyway, given that we're projecting it to be a lot more abbreviated than a regular championship. What do you think? It's interesting. I I think it depends. uh, You know, the way I've always approached this is they need to find a new trophy to give out this year anyway, uh, because it's not going to be normal no matter what you do. And I guess I've kind of just accepted that, that there's nothing that the NBA can do to create any kind of normal championship or normal circumstances to finish this season, uh, just considering everything that's going on. I don't know if I would go so far as to say it wouldn't be a credible champion uh, as much as I would say, you know, it might create an unfair advantage, but how do you, like you said, how do you stop those guys anyways? Because if if those states are open and those players are going to be working out, uh, one way or another, they're going to gain some level of advantage, right? Uh, and wouldn't you rather have those players doing it at the facility, like you said, uh, just from a health standpoint, uh, as opposed to you know, you know, mingling with a larger you know percent of the population? So, I don't know if I would go so far to say it wouldn't create a credible champion. I, I think in that sense, you have to open up this conversation uh, to maybe a bigger one anyway, and say, can we even have anything approaching a normal champion this year? Does it make sense to give out the Larry O'Brien Trophy to a team that wins? Uh, whatever the NBA is going to call the playoffs, uh, is there a way to just look at this through a whole new lens? Uh, because the logistics of it, to me, are, are frankly, I don't know how anyone figures it out. I think the NBA is obviously trying very hard. Uh, but if we just use the argument that, that you talked about, about player safety, player health, uh, making sure that if they're going to be working out anyway, they're working out uh, in a safe environment, uh, how do you how do you stop them from doing that? Do you think the solution is, close all gyms because wouldn't that then incentivize players to go work out at the Equinox at the LA Fitness like you mentioned yeah look I, I'm with you on on the idea that there should be some sort of separate trophy for this year I mean come back if you want to come back there are plenty of financial reasons to come back I mean you want to get you know games on a broadcast you want to satisfy your obligations to ESPN and TNT, and certainly your regional affiliates, which are going to become problematic as well. Uh, but don't call it the Larry O'Brien Championship. I mean, I, I, like you, I've been watching this doc, the Bulls documentary, The Last Dance, and mm-hmm. look, playoffs and championships are won 
you know, through fire. Like you, you go through just wars to win championships. Even if, even without this current uh, set of events, like you're gonna have like best of threes and, and like at best best of fives, if that. I mean, it's just gonna be such a weird postseason that it's not going to require the same type of of energy to win a championship that it would otherwise. And imagine this: imagine if LeBron and Lakers win a championship, like it will become another, like it will be scrutinized for all eternity. Like if LeBron wins a fourth championship here and people say, well, LeBron won four championships and Jordan won six, the immediate counter argument, well, he won a championship in that year that didn't really count. (laughs) And he won in the abbreviated year. It's just like, just look, it's tough because it, it potentially could be LeBron's last best chance to win a championship given what the landscape might look like next year. But this is a unique circumstance. I mean, I say just, just screw it. And, and, you know, call it the David Stern trophy. Like, just sure. make a new trophy for this year and go through the motions to have a televised event, but not one that ends with a recognized champion. Yeah, I agree with you completely there. And just to maybe kind of put a bow on it, I agree that those those players who are going to work out are going to get a competitive advantage. I just don't think that there is another solution uh, that's better than if states are open and guys are going to work out no matter what, make sure they're doing it in the safest environment possible. And you kind of have to live with that competitive advantage because I think we both agree the best solution is not, you know, worrying about competitive advantages and who gets to work out and who doesn't get to work out. It's to accept that these aren't normal circumstances and and create a whole new framework uh, for whatever postseason event the NBA wants to put on. You know, the other side of it, Rowan, is that you know, th- there are teams out there that are wondering, are they coming back at all? And if they are, why are they? Steve Kerr, the coach of the Warriors, was on a conference call with reporters this week, and he said that Golden State was in off-season mode and that they were effectively operating like their season was over. And look, I agree with Steve Kerr. Like, the Warriors' season should be over. The Cavaliers' season should be over. These sub-500 playoff teams yeah, or non-playoff teams, they shouldn't be thinking about coming back. I mean, there's really no sense to me in having like a three-week training camp in Cleveland to have the Cavaliers come back for five meaningless regular season games. I understand there's a there's a consequence to that. You're not really giving like the Portlands and the New Orleans and the Sacramentos, you know, a chance to compete for uh, that last playoff spot in the West. I get that. You'll have some other teams that would be jockeying for seeding. Uh, that could be problematic as well, but I, I just don't see the point in having almost half the league come back for games that don't matter. It, it just I think if you're going to move forward, you start by telling these non-playoff teams you're done. The only teams that should be even thinking about getting back into the flow are the teams that are in the playoffs, and and even that might be a stretch. But I, I'm all for for Steve Kerr's philosophy on this. Like it, it should be end game for these non-playoff teams. I agree. I agree completely. There's no point. Uh, you're just putting more people at risk. I think really what it's going to come down to is money. If you're Cleveland, I mean, your only incentive to come back is, can we somehow get two more home games out of this? Uh, I don't know. I don't think fans are going to be there, so I don't even know what that would mean for Cleveland. It's just going to come down to revenue sharing. Is a team like the Lakers going to be okay with sharing whatever money's come in from whatever new format with the teams that weren't in the playoffs? Uh, that's really what it comes down to. I think as long as the, the financial aspect of it has worked out in a way that these, you know, small market teams aren't, quote unquote, you know, offended by, by being left out, it makes complete sense. Uh, just from a safety standpoint and a logistical standpoint, I'm with you. You know, some people are saying we're going to need a month 
uh, to get players ready, and then the Hornets come back and play four games. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, I just think that those teams are going to have to be satisfied financially uh, to just you know be told they're giving up on the season completely. Because Golden State's yeah, in a unique well, position with you know the new arena. They probably still made a good amount of money this year. Uh, a team like Cleveland or Charlotte, uh, they may feel a little differently about that. Well, the only reason for these teams to come back is to satisfy those regional outlet obligations, which are not inconsiderable. I mean, you have to deal with that at some point, the the money you're bringing in from these uh, local networks. But you know, if it was if it was like 15 games, I'd get it. But it's really not going to be. It's going to be five, maybe six games at best. And that's only if this thing turns a corner very quickly in the next uh, three or four weeks. So I, I say just go and and completely shut it down. By the way, the Lakers might, you know, well, Lakers are short on cash, as you know. I mean, they're <laughs> yeah, applying right. for PPP loans. <laughs> I, I would just love, I would say this, Rowan, I know that the Lakers were not the only team in the league to consider this. Like this was something that went around NBA front offices and was discussed uh, amongst different teams. I, I would love to know how they came to a consensus that applying for this was a good thing. That The story, by the way, is the Lakers applied for a loan and received a loan under that uh, the Paycheck Protection Program that uh, the government put out primarily to satisfy and help small businesses. The Lakers, by the way, are not a small business. They are a $4.4 billion enterprise as, as valued by Forbes. And they asked for and received a, a loan in the amount of $4.6 million. I mean, like, I just want to know, Rohan, who thought that was a good idea? I would love to meet that person who thought that was a good idea. I could not believe it, and I'm glad that they were, like, rightfully shamed for it. Also, who, like, how many people on the Lakers right now could come up with $4.6 million if the Lakers really needed it? Like, how many people associated with the Lakers organization, or how many people who sit courtside uh, would just give the Lakers $4.6 million right now if they asked for it? I bet you Ice Cube would consider it. He's such a huge Lakers fan. I bet you if the Lakers like, hey, Cube, we need $4.6 million, he'd be like, sure, here you go. The fact that they applied for it, and that was the sum they received, so many just absurd things about that story. I'm glad that the Lakers uh, were publicly shamed into giving that money back. It's like LeBron receiving a stimulus check. Like it's <laughs> right. it, it just is is completely insane to me. And and yeah, they did deserve to get whacked uh, for that, both uh, publicly and by people like Steve Mnuchin who took him to task uh, publicly as well. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, get Creighton, you don't watch Creighton. They play. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shane and the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, going to win. Not the Big East tournament? They're, well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But, like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That cool. Like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Cre- Creighton is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. that. Like, that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a, is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> and then they're never at any of those. And then they're never, yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? See the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into 150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. All right, let's talk about the Chicago Bulls for a second. Not about the documentary, but the actual Bulls who are making moves uh, within their front office. Arturis, Arturis Karnasovis, uh, longtime NBA executive, he gets an opportunity to run his own NBA team moving on from Denver uh, to Chicago. Uh, he makes a GM hire this week, Mark Eversley, uh, who was the former assistant GM in Philadelphia. That's an interesting team to take over, Rowan, because I think that if you're Arturis and you're Eversley and you're that new front office you got to look at that as a short-term turnaround. I mean, there is good young talent in Chicago right now. There is, you know, whether you think Zach Levine is a franchise player or not, he's a good young player. You get Lowry Markin in there, who is a good young player. Wendell Carter is there, who's a good young player. One of the things that Paxson and Gar Foreman did well was that they tended to have good drafts. And look, they screwed up everything else when it came to trades and, and other things, but they drafted pretty well over the years. So that nucleus is good. In like two years, I think it's actually next summer, some of those bad contracts are going to come off the books, so there'll be some flexibility there. If you're the Bulls, I mean, I know you got to figure out your coaching situation for sure, but if you're Arturis and you're Mark Eversley, with a couple of tweaks there, you should be in the playoffs maybe as early as next year, and then, if you can get get a top free agent in 2021, where there figures to be some guys, uh, you might have a chance to 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 elevate yourself really quickly. What do you think of the situation in Chicago? I mean, some people were talking about the Bulls as maybe a surprise playoff team or a fringe playoff team as early as this season. I really like Arturis Karnasovas. I mean, I did a story on the Nuggets. It's been a couple years now, but just chatting with him, he's a really smart guy. I mean, obviously, Tim Connolly gets a lot of the credit for what's happening in Denver, and rightfully so. I mean, the Nuggets have, have built kind of the ideal small market team. I mean, top two, top three team in the West uh, did it by drafting a bunch of great guys like 
Jokic, Gary Harris, Jamal Murray. Then they eventually signed someone like Paul Millsap. I think that's all, you know, replicable in Chicago and perhaps even on a bigger scale. It's not long ago that Chicago, while they might not have a history of getting big free agents, guys are interested in playing there. I mean, Carmelo Anthony was interested in playing there. LeBron and Dwayne Wade were taking meetings there. Uh, People like the idea of playing for the Bulls. Uh, Like you said, I mean, I think Markinen is probably still their best prospect. I do like Carter a lot, but it's not inconceivable. They could be really good really soon. I really like the Eversley hire too. Uh, The idea that they're getting these guys who worked in front offices that know what it takes to mine the fringes for talent is really important, especially in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I think the Bulls have a lot of potential to kind of, you know, exponentially grow over the next few years uh, with Karnasovas as their GM. Yeah, and I think the big question is going to be what they do with the head coach. And look, I I think there's an opportunity there, and I've mentioned this, and I've written it, and I've talked about it, but Kenny Atkinson, to me, makes the most sense. Uh, I mean, look, I I understand Jim Boylan is the incumbent, and he has been fired, but if you're Arturis, you're a new GM, you're going to bring in your own guy. It it just happens all the time in, in professional basketball. And the obvious choice to replace him is Kenny Atkinson. I mean, Kenny Atkinson took over a Nets team that looks remarkably like this Chicago Bulls team. Good young talent, um, maybe not an alpha in the mix, but Atkinson took those guys like D'Angelo Russell, who was damaged goods at the time, Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris. There's a whole bunch of guys like that on Chicago. I mean, Levine is the top guy of them all, but marketing, Carter, I mean, even Chris Dunn comes back. I mean, you've got some guys that can be molded. Atkinson is the best developmental coach maybe in all of basketball and definitely the best available developmental coach on the market. You want to turn this team around right away and get it in the playoffs next year? You hire Kenny Atkinson. You go out there and you swoop in and you take him away from maybe the Knicks or some other team that might be interested and you make him your franchise coach because Atkinson's stock, it's still very high. I mean, Atkinson, look, I I thought he got royally screwed in Brooklyn but most of the league still views Atkinson as a very good coach. So he's going to get a job sooner rather than later. But I look at Kenny Atkinson as being a no-brainer choice in Chicago. I, I, I would love that hire for them. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, ironically, or whatever word you want to use, I do think you have to wonder if the plan is to bring in a star in 2021 or in the future, how would that work with Atkinson? Would he be comfortable with that? Would the quote-unquote star player be comfortable with that? Uh, granted, I think you should – want to find the star player who likes the idea of playing for Kenny Atkinson because I agree with all the things you said about him. He's a great coach. Uh, The Nets, uh, no one expected him to be in the position they are uh, and what the front office and coaching staff did to turn uh, that whole situation around as quickly as they did is really remarkable. So I'm all in on Kenny Atkinson. I think, I think that's a great hire. I hope you're able to speak it into existence. Do you mind if I tell a Jim Boylan story real quick? Please. So I was in Oklahoma City uh, working on a feature on Chris Paul, and they were playing the Bulls one night, and I've n- I'd never seen an interaction like this between a coach and a referee before. Uh, but I'm sitting by the court, and Jim Boylan is upset about a foul call, uh, and he's complaining about it to the ref. And the ref said there was, you know, there's nothing there. And Jim Boylan said, maybe if you'd ran back down the court fast enough, you would have seen it. And the ref gave Jim Boylan a look that I'm not sure I've seen a referee give a coach before in my entire life. That felt a little too personal to me, Chris. But basically calling the referee out of shape. You think that was a, yeah, come on. That's a, that's a, that's a little, that's a little over the top. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, Jim, Jim Boylan likes his players to hustle. He's a hard nosed coach. Maybe he wants the same out of his referees. I don't know. Maybe that's, that's going to be the case. Um, 
Yeah, I like. I just, I don't like to advocate for the firing of anybody, but like, if you're the Bulls, you've got a year and a half of Jim Boylan to see on tape. Like, you've got evidence here, and I just I haven't mean, seen enough. Go ahead. He's in like open conflict with Zach Levine at multiple points during the season. It's almost like they they want them not to like each other. I don't get it. It's more so that just like, what is he bringing to the team? And it seems like none of the players really seem to get along with him. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it doesn't. You've, you've got to hire. And look, I don't, I don't think that Kenny Atkinson, like I still, there's like a whole deeper dive to be done on what happened in Brooklyn. Um, and why, you know, whether it's Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, or some combination of both didn't want to play for him. I mean, I, I still, you're never going to get me to believe that Kenny Atkinson walked into Sean Mark's office and said that my voice isn't getting through to these guys. Like, I, I just, he hadn't coached them. Like, he coached, what, Kyrie for like 20 games. He'd coached Kevin Durant for zero. He coached the combination of Kyrie, Spencer Dinwiddie, and uh, who was it? Was it Harris or somebody else there? Oh, no, Karis LeVert for like five games, like having coached, not having anything close to your full roster, you're just not going to convince me that Kenny Atkinson was convinced that it didn't, it didn't work there. I, I think there's, there's way too much positivity around Kenny Atkinson right now. And look, the idea of a, a 2021 free agent is certainly nice, but it's not a reality yet. What the reality is you've got your, your young team in Chicago that is just, is there like they're they're the perfect team for Kenny Atkinson to jump in and uh, and take over? Um, all right, let me ask you lastly about Vince Carter, and this is like I I'm actually I'm a little bit surprised, Rohan, that there's been fairly minimal interest in this being the end to Vince Carter. I say that as someone that you know wrote I talked to Vince uh, about a week and a half ago. I wrote a magazine store story on him. I published our transcript of our interview on SI.com this week. Uh, it just doesn't seem like Vince gets the kind of appreciation that a Kobe or a Dirk get. And I, and I get he's not Kobe and Dirk, but this was an eight-time All-Star who was an MVP candidate for a number of years, who set the NBA record for number of seasons played, who did something that I can probably count on one hand the number of guys that have done what Vince has done in terms of uh, going from alpha superstar into role player who was able to accept that role and be successful at it for a number of years. I, I just... Why do you think there's been so kind of, you know, a, a collective shrug out there about the end uh, coming for Vince Carter? Uh, it's a great point. You know, I read your magazine story. It was really good. Not only was Vince Carter all those things you mentioned, he is like one of the biggest fan favorites of that era of basketball from the from the mid-2000s, early 2000s, his dunks. Uh, he was mega popular uh, with a lot of people in my generation. It, it's crazy. I think... The issue is is several different things, actually. You know, while it was great that he was a role player and willing to accept that role, uh, the last few years of his career, he also wasn't really playing on teams of consequence. You know, obviously he wanted to play, and I respect him for that, uh, but he was kind of toiling, you know, with the Kings when they weren't doing that much. Now with Atlanta, who is having an even worse season than the year before. So I think part of the issue was he was just playing on teams that didn't matter. Uh, and then, you know, kind of bouncing around at the end, it was hard for, you know, if he had gone back to, say, Toronto, let's say, for a final season, or even the Nets, which, you know, might not be the team people remember him for, but just something to give us that kind of nostalgic element, it's kind of hard to appreciate Vince Carter when he's playing for a, a team that, you know, he doesn't look quite right in the uniform, uh, the team is not very good, 
you know, he waited until the middle of the season to say it was going to be his last year. So it's just those little things like that that I think have made it maybe harder for people to appreciate Vince than other guys of his ilk in the past. And then obviously right now, you know, there's so many things going on that it's kind of hard to put, you know, his send off into the proper context of everything else that's happening in this country. But I agree with you. Not only did he have such a great career on the court, but whether it was, you know, the Olympic dunk or his dunk contest dunks. I mean, this guy was hugely, hugely popular. Like people forget, you know, Vince Carter was at any point, you know, during the mid two thousands, you know, pound for pound, the most famous guy in the NBA. Yeah. And like two big, what ifs I'm going to have about Vince Carter's career. One, if it didn't go South in Toronto, like the, the, the end in Toronto was complicated on a couple levels. Like Vince, you know, by his own admission at times, you know, wasn't giving it his all in in every single game. You had a coach at that time in Kevin O'Neill who just wasn't equipped to be an NBA head coach, just wasn't the right guy. But, like, a full a full bore Vince, and you have to remember that last full season he had in Toronto, you know, that was a rookie Chris Bosh year. Like, Vince Chris Carter and Chris Bosh were teammates for, for one full season. Like, Chris Bosh with that team eventually turned it around enough to become a consistent playoff team. What might that team have been like if you had the Vince Carter that went on to New Jersey to be an all-star player, continue to be an all-star player? I mean, he was traded. Like, that trade from Toronto to New Jersey, uh, like, the Raptors got nothing out of it. They got two first-round picks, which turned out to be nothing, and they got some spare parts in, like, Alonzo Mourning, who never played there, uh, Eric Williams. Like, you, you trade a player like Vince Carter, you better get something back. I understand that they're... That's a trade that needed to happen because of the toxicity of the relationship between Vince and, and that team, specifically the front office. But that's going to be a big what if to me. The other part I never really understood. He Look, I get his explanation for it. Like, I don't know what you gain out of playing for Sacramento and Atlanta at the end. I, I just don't. Like, I don't know. I, I get that you're playing a little bit more, but it's not like you're playing, you know, 30 minutes a night and you're at least contending for a playoff spot. You're on a bad team that is in the early stages of a rebuild. And look, Vince said to me he had an opportunity to you know, play with a contender and sit on the bench and be kind of a mentor-type guy. It just didn't fit him. I wonder if he'll regret that down the line. Not that there's like huge value in you know, just being a, a 15th man on somebody's bench, but there's got to be more value than, you know... Like, there were times last year that Vince was a broadcaster. Like, he was doing Hawks right, games for like, the radio. Right. Like, it's just like... I just, I don't really understand the thinking, especially that last, like one year in Atlanta, okay. But to go back to that team, instead of signing on to be a backbencher with a, you know, with a contender, I, I just, I, I don't really get that. I mean, 22 years in the NBA, you can't spend one of them just kind of enjoying yourself. Like, I mean, you know, collecting that. Wouldn't you rather see him play like eight minutes a night with the San Antonio Spurs and like Greg Popovich or some team like that, as opposed to like 12 minutes a night with the Hawks and, it's it's uncomfortable anyway. I, yeah, it just I like it's weird. Like I really respect him for being like I I just want to go where I can play. But it's not like these teams aren't going to use you at all, and like you're still going to have utility. It, it just yeah, it was such a weird way for him to end his career. You know, not not even you just at least try to go back to one of the cities that you were so famous in. I mean, I feel like there were a lot of teams that would have used him even a tiny bit. I mean, I could see him, you know launching up some threes for the Rockets nine minutes a night, something like that, you know, give yourself another opportunity to have one moment in the playoffs where maybe you come off the bench and hit a big three in the third quarter, something like that. 
just something that we can attach to your final years of your career and be like that moment right there, you know, brought us back to the Vince Carter of our youth as opposed to who's even watching Hawks games over the last couple months of the season. You know what I mean? It's like, they're just irrelevant at this point. And it, it is really sad to me because I feel like he could have offered so much uh, by playing on a relevant team. Even if it wasn't a title contender, but just play for a, a coach we love or anything like that. Uh, and, and instead going to these teams that are, no one's paying attention to them by Christmas. Uh, it, it's a little frustrating. Yeah, it's irrelevant now, but like at least do it like, Tracy McGrady did. Remember Tracy McGrady signed like in April of 2013 with San Antonio and yes, just yeah. rolled the bench in the playoffs. Like, yeah, take a buyout before March 1st, then glom on to a contender and, and see what's out there. I mean, I, I just, I just, it was just weird. Like it just, I mean, I grew up like Vince Carter was such a big part of the fabric of the NBA in the early 2000s and the late 90s, and early 2000s. I mean, he was, like, he was great. Like, people that might be listening to this podcast don't remember how electric he was. I mean, he changed and revitalized the slam dunk contest in 2000. Uh, yeah, he was an MVP candidate that year. I mean, when things were going good in Toronto, he looked like he was going to be the next Kobe. Like, be the guy that took over for Michael and and ascend to those rankings. So, it was just weird to to see him kind of toil there at the end with the Atlanta Hawks. I just I wasn't, I wasn't really feeling that. I mean, to each their own. Like, you know, Vince... And one thing I'll say about Vince, that he was very much at peace with his decision. And, you know, if this was the end, if it ended, you know, in a meaningless regular season game against New York where he's standing alongside R.J. Barrett and taking feeds from Trey Young, I mean, okay, great. Like, he, he's, it's his own career. It's his life. I just would have liked to have seen him get one opportunity to play in a finals and, and have that story be part of his uh, overall legacy. Without a doubt. And actually, uh, I, I just want to add in real quick, I mean, because we're kind of seeing, you know, watching the last dance uh Teams and players don't always get the endings they deserve. And if you have an opportunity to get a special ending, you know, and I think some people, obviously, they might have rolled their eyes a little bit at Dwayne Wade, you know, doing the one last dance or even Kobe Bryant, you know, shooting 50 times in a game for a 20-win Lakers team or whatever it was. But, you know, these guys have given us, people like me and you, so much in terms of entertainment or the stories they provided or, or what they do for the fans, like, you know, those moments are special. And if you're a player and you, you get a chance to have the ending you deserve, take it, okay? Don't worry about, you know, if anyone's going to roll their eyes or don't worry about, you know, feeling like it's going to be selfish. Because at the end of the day, people are going to look back on that last year, whatever you did with fondness. Uh, and I think that's important. And, you know, whether it's Vince or whoever it is, like, what if LeBron James, obviously, you know, Vince Carter wasn't LeBron. What if LeBron ended his career you know, doing something like this. So it would be kind of devastating. So I hope every player, you know, kind of gets the ending they deserve. And maybe this is the one Vince wanted, but it just feels like someone who gave so much uh, to the fans and the culture of this league deserved a little bit more. Oh, you didn't roll your eyes at Dwayne Wade when he said <laughs> one last dance. You you stood and applauded Dwayne Wade when he said I, that. I if, did. if Dwayne Wade... If Dwayne Wade signed a contract with the Lakers when this pandemic ends, you will be the first one to praise it as a brilliant move by Wade and Rob Belenka. Okay, first of all, this is what I get for trying to be diplomatic. But if we're going to go there, I didn't merely stand and applaud, Chris. I stood, applauded, and I cried. You Make sure you get that in there. Okay. <laughs> Cry. Got it. <laughs> Noted for the record. Uh, Rowan, gotcha, stay, uh, stay healthy out there. Stay off the beaches. Tell your uh, Corona bros out there to stay off the beaches as well. And uh, thanks for joining me, my man. Anytime, Chris. Thank you, man. 
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for.